Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Best Care Anywhere podcast. I am your host, Anthony, and my intro for myself last week aged like milk. With me, as always, is the succotash queen of North Central Kansas himself, Ethan Wilson. The secret to a good succotash is a North Central Kansas plain rat snake. Oh. Do you know what, uh, do, what even is succotash? Is I have like no fucking idea. Why, why are you at succotash you, is? You, hold on, I'm gonna Google it. Oh god, of course you are. Uh, a dish of corn, good. lima beans, and other vegetables. So it's like, it's like a fruit salad, but with vegetables. Yeah, That's so basically, if you were you know, an early American settler, this was just you took everything that on. you would grow in your in your garden and chuck it in a cast iron skillet. What? Now, is it like is it a cooked thing or a cold thing? No, it's it's cooked. It's uh, it's cooked. so it's like a hash. It's kind of like a, a a beans and corn hash. Yeah. Okay. See, I'm not against that. Yeah. Uh, so, uh, so funny thing on the subject of succotash, my mom makes something I guess could be considered like in the succotash family tree. She does a elote corn salad. Do you know what elote is, Ethan? Uh, no, I don't. I am entirely too. Do you know? To do you know it. the 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 little Mexican corn men that go around towns with their little push cart that has like they do like snow cones or oh, the big yeah, fried, yeah, the yeah. Fried pinwheels. And the elote is the corn on a cob on a stick that's smothered in butter, mayonnaise, parmesan, and chili powder. And it's the best fucking thing. It's the that... greatest fucking thing known to man. And Do you my have mom... any idea what it's like being a native Kansan and knowing you got outcorned by the Mexicans? It's 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 humiliating. I know my mom. My mom has this recipe, and it's basically. Off the cob elote. It's amazing. I could eat it. I could eat I could eat a whole bowl of it and not feel bad about myself. So are are but, you gonna are you are you gonna are you gonna let me have some? Are you gonna say uh sure. hey, uh, mom. see the reason this came about is because when we lived in uh Lincoln, we we used to have a genuine elote guy come up and down the street. You would hear his little like bicycle bell three streets over in the summer, and it was drop everything and go outside. It was like an all you go knock on the neighbors like wake up the elote man's here because he only came around when he had fresh corn. And that was like every two weeks. So you had like three chances, maybe four <laughs> each summer to get fresh, hot, made in front of you, smeared in front of you elote. And the first time the first time. OK, we're going on this whole tangent real quick. The Fuck first time yeah. it happened, uh, we had neighbors, uh, Raul and Linda and their kids were our neighbors and they were. I wanted to say Raul was first gen, like he immigrated here and married Linda. Okay. But this elote man comes down the street and my dad sees them buying elote. My dad grew up in San Diego, so he is fully aware of elote. He's like, oh shit, this is legit. Ma, or Sherry, get the kids out here right now. And my mom's like, what? No, this looks weird. And, and Linda, Linda's looking at her like, Sherry, try it. Life-changing. Life-changing for our whole family. It was a beautiful moment. Elote forever. If you see an Elote man in your area, try the Elote. You will not be upset. Uh, sorry, that was your... Uh, this episode is sponsored by uh, all the Elote men uh, 
around the world because you heard yes. it here full, first folks kidnap your local go go to any go to any man pushing a small cart with uh three flavors of uh snow cone syrup those bags of those fried pinwheel things and hot corn and tell him that best care anywhere sent you and he will look at you confused you're not getting anything out of it just do that for your own enjoyment all right elote minute is over ethan how are you I, I'm I'm here. That's that's better than I deserve. You know, I, I'm down a pair of pants from an unfortunate fire that was beyond my control. But uh, all is well. All right. Yeah. How are you? I got to see a motherfucking eclipse. Yeah, yeah, it yeah. was I, so I, goddamn cool. I'm trying to even, hide my jealousy, better. but goddamn, like it was cloudy so bad you could not see anything for two or three days now, and and you're sending photos just like boom now i will say this i did go see an eclipse with a whole bunch of teenagers this was a scout trip and i always have to like explain to my family and friends with the exception of like you jared and uh juan mm -hmm. i have to i have to explain to my family and friends like no me going out into the forest with a bunch of teenagers does it is stressful and it is annoying but also it brings me joy and brings me life in ways I cannot describe. So everyone's like, oh, you had to take a bunch of kids out to go see an eclipse. And I'm like, no, that was the best part. The also best part was one of the scoutmasters standing in a barren field. We did a hike. Uh, we were up in the very northeast corner of California. So we hiked to the, uh, the point where the borders of the three states meet, California, Oregon, and Nevada. And I got this picture of one of our scoutmasters just standing in a barren field with a full open paper map just looking at where we're supposed to be going it's very it, it could be a norman rockwell painting honestly it's kind of great but no it was a very cool trip i'm glad we did it we weren't sure if we were the week before we weren't sure if we were even gonna have good good skies to view it but we got very lucky yeah it sounded so, like it was kind of touch and go with the weather there but then you know you it, sent it was a, a, these startlingly good photos of the eclipse it, it was sprinkling the night before off and on it cleared up right before dawn, and then right as the eclipse was getting started, because of the temperature change in the air when the sun gets blocked, clouds start will start condensing, and because where we were camping was right at the ridgeline of these mountains, clouds were actually forming, like, you could watch them start as the wispy, you know, mist, and form into solid clouds right at the point where the sun was in the sky. It was, like, the worst-case scenario. But it cleared <laughs> up right as we got the full eclipse, so it was really cool. But that is cool. Enough nerding okay. out about science. It's time to nerd out about MASH. Um, I, do have some, I do have some bad news to share with you and the audience before I share a bunch of good news. Okay, uh, do, you recall, off. do you recall local indigenous personnel? Of course. Uh, do you recall guest actor Burt Young of, of Rocky fame? Of course. It's I, I don't know what it is, but this there seems to be this thing that either right before we talk about a guest actor or writer, or right after we talk about a guest actor or writer, uh, Burt Young actually passed away a few days ago, back on the 8th of October. Fuck! I know, right? I, I didn't That's... even hear about that. Yeah, I only saw it because he's MASH-related, so it went through all, like, the MASH circles, but... God damn it, now I'm sad. Audience, I audience, I'm just gonna say this right now. 
if I forget to edit out a long bout of silence from my end, it's because I'm actively eating a hot link because I'm hungry and I apologize for that. Moving right along. So audience, yes, I'm going to add something from my end. If you hear a long bout of silence, it's because I'm staring deep into my computer monitor, contemplating my own mortality. All right. All right. Anyway, may uh, may he rest in peace? Yes, Burt Young has passed. May he rest in peace. But enough about dead people. We have exciting news. Two pieces of exciting news. Number one, and most important, and I'll probably make sure to share this uh, a little early before this episode actually goes out. The next episode of the podcast, we are not watching an episode of MASH. We will, in fact, be watching and then reviewing MASH the Motion Picture, directed by Robert Altman, produced by uh, Rene Aubergine. Is it Rene Aubergine? No, it's not Rene Aubergine. That's one of the actors. I forget who it's produced by, but I will know next week. Uh, and we will be watching it uh, off recording, and then we are going to be sitting down with uh, myself, Ethan, and good old Mike Jameson, this lightsaber kills fascists, uh, because he expressed an interest of uh, firsthand experiencing what millennials think of a 1970s counterculture movie. And I've rewatched some of the clips from the movie. I haven't watched the whole movie yet, and it is... It is going to be an episode, folks. I I haven't seen this movie in a long time. And I have definitely have not seen it since I've really been an adult. I probably watched it when I was like a, a junior or senior in high school. Oh boy, there is a lot that happens in this movie that is going to be interesting to discuss. But make sure you go and get a copy of it if you don't have it. Rent it somewhere, borrow it somewhere. I know YouTube has it, Amazon Prime will have it. Uh, if you want to fly your pirate flag and sail the seven seas for no, for a com for completely unrelated reasons to what I'm talking about, you go do that. Uh, no judgment here. But yeah, we are going to watch Mash the movie with Mike Jameson uh, between now and the next recording, and it should be the first episode in November. Uh, should be that. So look forward to that. Secondly, uh, in addition to watching the Mash movie, you have heard Ethan and I. Uh, Hint at some uh, a secret project that I'll be honest, I am far behind on uh, getting ready for. But we wanted to do something uh, toward the beginning of December. We want to do a bonus episode. Uh, it'll release between the two regular episodes. Uh, we're going to watch a movie. We're not going to tell you what that movie is yet uh, because uh, I want to make extra, extra sure that there's no hiccups between now and uh then so we're gonna i'm gonna check on a couple things but needless to say we're gonna watch a movie it is very thinly mash related uh we have talked about watching this movie on the podcast already um between that and some of the other things i've said it should be pretty easy for you to find out but that will be happening beginning of december uh we will let you know before the episode airs or the bonus episode airs so you can get a copy of this movie and watch along and uh, dis discuss it with us on Twitter as you normally would with the episodes and all that jazz. So be ready. And I will reiterate that this uh, bonus project is happening uh, because of the patrons. The patrons have provided us the funds to uh, acquire a copy of this movie uh, with without dipping into our own pockets. So as a special thank you, they already know what movie it is. So if you if you can't wait, if the suspense is killing you, feel free to go support us on Patreon. 
But those are the two big ones. Uh, Mash the movie next episode, and then in about uh, a month from... Uh, about a month and a half from when you're hearing this, maybe closer to two months from when you're hearing this, there will be another special uh, bonus episode at the beginning of Christmas. So, And then a then. few months after that, I'm going to convince Anthony to uh, watch the 1952 critically acclaimed film Bonzo Goes to College, uh, which I know you all are very interested in seeing. So, uh, so you know. that's the thing. I will say this, the movie we're thinking of doing in December is a much longer, very complicated movie to do a review of and talk about for reasons that will become obvious once that episode airs. But if you guys like it as a bonus episode, again, bonus, it will not cut out, you will not miss an episode of the regular podcast. But if you guys like it, we will consider doing more movie review episodes, so long as they're related to MASH, like the Bonzo movies are good. Uh, another one that comes to mind is My Darling Clementine in the future. Uh, the Moon is, is it The Moon is Blue or The Moon is Not Blue? I can't remember which one's the name of the movie and the name of the episode. Uh, we'll watch some Harry Morgan Westerns. We'll watch uh, The Cat from Outer Space with Harry Morgan and McLean Stevenson. Uh, so yeah, if this first one goes over well and people like the kind of MASH adjacent movies, then we will do some more in the future. But uh, keep keep your ears uh, open on the podcast. Keep your eyes on the social medias because we will be letting you know probably next episode, probably when we're talking with Mike because that episode's going to come out one month before. So that'll give people plenty of time. So uh, enough uh, hinting at that. Uh, just be ready for it when it comes because I'm really looking forward to it for reasons that are obvious to Ethan. Uh, but yeah, we will, we will cross that bridge when we come to it. Do you have anything it's, else, it's... Ethan? Uh, it's going to be a time, um, I will eventually wear you down enough to, uh, experience Easy Rider with me, and, um, Bonzo Goes to College was released on September 11th, 1952. So, you know, um, do with that information what you will. How dare you set me up for a joke that I definitely am not going to make on this podcast. You're That's welcome. rude of you. That's Continue. rude of you. That's a comedy foul. Anyway, <laughs> so this week's episode, Dear Dad 3, Season 2, Episode 9, aired on November 10th, 1973. Directed by Don Weiss, who we have seen before. Written by Lawrence Marks, who we have seen before. So yeah, so Don Weiss, uh, director of this episode, directed our last episode, The Trial of Henry Blake. And Lawrence Marks, of course, I believe Lawrence Marks is the one I've said is... The most prolific writer for season two, at least. He's done Five O'Clock Charlie, Radar Support, Kim, What's Local that? Indigenous Personnel. Uh, he also did some season one episodes, The Moose, Yankee Doodle Doctor, Henry Please Come Home, Sticky Wicket. Hey Siri, shut the fuck up. Um, so yeah, we've seen Lawrence Marks, we've seen Don Weiss. Uh, not much more to say about these gentlemen. We know they produce good episodes of the show. So, Dear Dad 3, we open on the swamp where... Weirdly, Frank and Trapper are getting along? Sort of. Well, a little. Also, can we discuss how this opening camera shot with Trapper and Frank is shot on, like, the first film camera ever made? And then when they cut to Hawkeye, it's on, like, like that first opening shot with them somehow. I don't know if it didn't get remastered. I don't know if they had to, like, you know what it might be? I'm realizing this. I think this might be one of those instances, because I know it, ha it happened on the DVD copies of the show, 
there are a couple episodes that just have bad film when they went to go remaster them. So I'm wondering if they had to pull this shot from somewhere else because it looks way fuzzier. Does it not to you? This that very first initial shot, and then it, once the episode get, gets going, it's fine again. Or is that just I am, am pulling I crazy? my I'm pulling my um video from a different source. Uh, mm -hmm. Legally, I cannot say where, but uh, it looks about the same quality to me. Okay, I'm not saying that you're not correct. I'm just saying I can't verify. So. Trapper and Frank are playing uh, gin. Uh, have you ever played gin rummy, Ethan? No, I prefer my gin in a glass. Anyway, uh, it's a card game, Ethan. Uh, you know, I was I was able to I was able to uh, I I was able to sniff that one out there, but please. Uh, continue. Uh, gin, gin rummy, gin rummy is a card game that my grandma taught me, and she is a fiend. Uh, she is ruthless when it comes to gin rummy. We got one training game, and then it was uh, cutthroat and ruthless, and I cried, and she didn't care. Um, Hawkeye is once again writing to his father, discussing uh, the war. So Hawkeye is writing to his dad, uh, explaining that the monotony goes on. Uh, boredom is their biggest enemy, thus the reason that, uh, Trapper and Frank are playing together, because they're so bored they might as well hang out together. Uh, of course Trapper cheats, because it's the only way he can beat Frank. So Frank storms away, stating that, uh, he doesn't want Trapper to talk to him for the rest of the war, or World War Three, which on Trapper's side I think is a pretty good deal. Uh, well, and uh, a little bit of foreshadowing, because it seems uh, that we're just continually inching closer to uh, World War Three. so... Oh, no. Don't. 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 You did the thing. You did the thing I, we weren't going to do. No. Oh, we weren't? We weren't? Oh, sorry. God. Modern politics is entering the podcast. Ah! Oh, no. oh, fine. oh uh, I'm sorry. Fuck. <laughs> I, this podcast has absolutely nothing to say on any current... Uh, Political news. Yep. Yep. Moving right along. So we Anywho. go to surgery. So we go to surgery. Uh, standard surgery scene. Uh, Hawkeye is Hawkeyeing. He is quoting poetry, uh, specifically a, a poem or story by the name of Gungadin, which you seemed. Uh, interested in discussing Ethan did you did you have things to say about uh Rudyard Rudyard Kipling's uh Gungadin uh I actually really enjoy him as, as an author and a poet because I grew up reading the original Jungle Book um mm, from him that's right he did write the original Jungle Book didn't he yeah yeah, uh, 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 you know, I, I, I like to uh, keep tabs on uh, him and a bunch of other very uh, influential uh, British people so I can, um, you know, disrespect Britain more accurately. <laughs> um, no, but uh, I, I, do like, uh, I do like his work, and I think he actually won the Nobel Prize for Literature. Um, uh God, I want to say 1907 might 
Zero. Anyway, uh, big fan. Uh, am you know shocked. Uh, was not expecting to hear poetry in OR. So yeah, Gungadin, it says here it's an 1890s poem by Rudyard Kipling, set in British India. Uh, Hawkeye is quoting specifically the finale of the poem, though I've belted you and flayed you by the living God that made you, you're a better man than I am, Gungadin. Gungadin is what the, it says it should be pronounced as, but I, I've heard it all different ways. But yeah, uh, which makes sense because both Hawkeye and Alan Alda, the thing, the thing I like and this is going to come up with a character, more specifically with a character we haven't met yet, or a couple characters we haven't met yet, but the actors are kind of allowed to bring their mannerisms to the characters. Hawkeye is played by Alan Alda, who's a stage actor, who is, I'm assuming, very well-read, very well, uh, I don't want to say well-educated, but he's he's very well-versed in old, old media, uh, Groucho Marx, old... Uh, radio dramas, old writings. So to have Hawkeye be quoting Gunga Din is both interesting because I don't know that you would expect Hawkeye, the character, to quote uh, Kipling. But also, it's cool that he does because, I don't know, it adds a little bit of depth. Uh, much in the way that future characters have a love of reading westerns or a love of classical music. It's something that their actors kind of brought and it it it's it helps flesh out the character in a way that's not just directly through dialogue or storytelling it's just kind of there so i dig it all I of that to it. be undermined by henry performing yeah. my favorite limerick oh so many oh. you have the let me guess you have the whole thing pulled up and ready to read don't you oh no that 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 one is uh completely you know made up by uh by by but see, Henry. The is, thing is, lim limericks are. I, I I could easily see where that limerick goes though, because I've heard enough limericks. There was an old lady from Kent who. Yeah, that you can easily come up with the ending to that limerick if you tried. But, oh yeah. How, how what's your feeling on limericks? Um. They they are they are the storytelling uh they are the storytelling method of your people. So please. Uh, you know, I'm I'm required by law to enjoy them. Uh, that's 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 about my scent on it. You know, thank you, Edward Lear. That's that's all I have to say. There was a young lady from Kent who lifted a horse. What's the? I saw. I heard one the other day because I think the da 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 da. That that one's like that's like the cadence everyone knows for limericks. Yeah. But I I heard one the other day when I was scrolling through Facebook that was like uh. It's I don't remember the exact words, but it's essentially uh. It was it was about getting drunk, and it was something about like uh. Spend all your time at work. You have no life spend spend your whole life drinking you'll have no time it, it was like this whole like back and forth limerick but it's like but if you spend your time drinking you'll have the time of your life or something like that it was a weird little limerick and i never heard that the way it with the cadence that it was done in before it was very weird but yeah 
leave us your best limericks in the comments below. Oh, God, what have I done? I just wait. Mm. Hang on. Hold up. Wait, wait, wait. No, seriously, though, I, I do like limericks. The problem with liking limericks and being a person who, as I stated earlier, is regularly in the vicinity of uh, teenagers. I know many good limericks. I don't know many good limericks that I can share. <laughs> hmm. It's not because that by their very nature, I think they're kind of meant to be like a common folks kind of dirty joke. You know, yeah. conveyance yeah. tool. So, yeah. But anyway, uh, while that is going on, Hawkeye gets a new patient. Uh, a private Condon, who I did not pull up his actor. Let me do that real quick. Or sorry, Sergeant Condon, it says here on the uh, wiki. Uh, let me let me run through his because just by his uh, by his appearance, it seems like someone you might recognize. Just because he, just. It, he he has a couple pictures on here that says to me he's maybe been in a couple things you've seen. So Sergeant Condon, played by Mills Watson, uh, he has quite the record. I see a lot of westerns, uh, and a lot of western like uh, made for TV series. Uh, the Virginian, the Wild Country, the original Hawaii Five O, nice. Uh, Lock, Stock, and Barrel, Bonanza. Uh, Dirty Little Billy, Ironside. Basically, all these, all these regular, you know, shows we've seen people come through. He does only on one episode of Mash. Go figure. Uh, he was in Gunsmoke, Midnight Man, The Waltons, The Wonderful World of Disney. What? All right, The Kansas City Massacre. Ooh, if that one had Kansas in the name. Uh, no, uh, I don't see anything on here. Wait, hang on. 38 episodes of The Misadventures of Sheriff Lobo as Deputy Perkins. Okay. And his last thing was in 1992, uh, Gunsmoke to the Last Man. All right. So he's had a, he's had a time. He's been around. Uh, my man is blessed or cursed with a forehead. I don't know which way to put it. I'm not, not trying to be mean, but that is a, that is a notable feature. I'm just going to say that. Some circles might call it a five head. Hey, I didn't say that. I, I know I did. Um, so yeah, uh, private, or sorry, I keep calling him private. Sergeant Condon is on the operating table. He's obviously concerned for his health. Uh, he hears that he's going to need uh, some blood plasma, uh, to which he asks Hawkeye to ensure that he gets the right colored blood Quote, I wouldn't want any of that darky stuff, you know. And it's like, oh boy, it's going to be one of those episodes. Oh no. We're going to talk about the racism. You're very quiet all of a sudden, Ethan. I, um, for comedic effect, I like to uh, disparage certain uh, uh, geographic locations, you know, England, uh, South Dakota, Wyoming, etc. Mm -hmm. um, I feel that given that, I should probably shut the fuck up on this particular subject. You heard it here last, folks. Racism bad. Racism bad. 
But in case you weren't aware, MASH is going to remind you, racism bad. In the weirdest ways possible. Uh, so Hawkeye obviously takes note of that, but he doesn't have long to think about it because Radar runs in with some x-rays uh, that he shows to Henry, and Henry kind of blows off like, you can't have someone in pre-op with a grenade in their pockets, and Radar mentions he is not wearing any pants. And that's when Henry realizes this soldier has an unexploded grenade that has been shot into his body, which Good is a thing. God. Which is a thing that can happen. God bless the uh, Industrial Revolution. I suppose so, it's better than the alternative? Which I, is, of course, being turned into a fine red mist. I but, mean, yeah? He's alive. There's something the size of an Arizona iced tea can shot into his body. But he's alive. But anyway, oh, so God. Henry grab Henry grabs Hawkeye. Uh, Hawkeye immediately recognizes what's going on and asks where the patient is, and they go out to handle it. Uh, Hawkeye explains via narration to his father that this does happen occasionally, which is terrifying. So much so that they have a procedure for it. Don't think about that for too long. Uh, and then we get. Honestly, a really good uh, scene of just the operating going on while Henry and Hawkeye are working to get this grenade out of this soldier. And uh, bless Margaret, she's there too. Because obviously, if you are if you need a nurse, you're not going to send one of your nurses to do something this dangerous. Because that would just be rude. Well, that's, that's also the mark of a, of a good leader, all prejudice towards Margaret's side. I, mm-hmm. It's it's mm-hmm. very admirable quality to not have any of your subordinates do something that you yourself wouldn't do. Exactly. But I digest. Uh, for those of you who are wondering, is Anthony going to nerd out and go on a rabbit hole about what type of grenade this is? No, but yes. It is an M7 uh, rifle launch grenade, meaning it is a grenade placed on the end of a rifle with a special uh, adapter. A blank shell is loaded into the rifle. Uh, the gases expelled from that shell are enough to pell the grenade uh, several yards, you know, tens of yards in front of you, uh, further than you would be able to throw it, essentially. Well, hold on there, buckaroo. M7 sounds like an awfully American way of designating ordinances. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Who did he piss off? Hang on. <laughs> I, I've heard a friendly fire, but that, <laughs> yikes. See, it's moments like that that I don't want to point out that he was hit in the back. Um, oh, God. Oh, no. So, yeah, the M7 grenade launcher is a 22 millimeter rifle grenade. Attachment for the M1 Garand, so it is an American weapon. Now, I'm not here to tell you what did or did not happen in this episode, because we don't know. I think this episode just got a lot darker that that guy was accidentally hit by friendly fire at close range. Which is terrifying. And adds a whole other layer to this. But that's not ge- that information isn't technically given to us in the episode, so you can blissfully ignore it if you want to, audience member. 
Ignorance uh, is bliss. Ethan, you want to do some math? <coughs> Always. So Hawkeye says a surgeon makes $413.50 a month. Okay. What's he making in what's he making in 2023 money, Ethan? Ooh, give me a moment. I need to pull up my inflation calculator. We're saying this is 1951. Mm-hmm. Four hundred and thirteen dollars back then would be worth four thousand eight hundred and ninety-five dollars and three cents today. Damn. Fuck. That's more than I that's more than I make, but that's not a lot. Yeah, that's uh that's a yearly take home of like just under sixty K. That's not bad. Jesus. You know, no, if Hawkeye is living alone. Yeah, that that's more money than I've ever made. I just wanna own a house. Fuck. <laughs> I do like this surgery scene because it does. Obviously, they're not really operating on anyone, but the 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 motions that ha that uh, Alan Alda and McLean Stevenson make, like the sharp little, clearly like cutting through a tendon or something that uh, Henry does at one point, just the way the, that they move, it is very convincing. Even though they don't, and and weirdly. You see the soldier lying on the table at the beginning of this scene, but something I always appreciate about MASH, they get a little more graphic further into the series, but they don't get, like, grotesque. I've seen more gory images in, like, House or ER or <clears throat> any detective drama than I ever see on MASH. Like, modern, modern current day TV shows than I ever see on MASH, but somehow MASH just does it in a way that is convincing. I don't know what it is, but they do it very well. I think they subscribe to the uh, less is more way of doing things, which of course is partially to get past the censors, you know? It's, yeah. uh, it's, it's, it's the Jaws effect, you know? It's, it's scarier because you can't see the shark. Mm -hmm. Like, Because like I said, I, I don't think, and I'm not going to say it definitively, I don't think we actively see munitions hit a person in this show which is crazy to think we definitely see the results of it and we know of it happening but we don't actually see like you might see in like again a cop show or some sort of action movie you do not see round hit flesh i don't think ever in this show which is wild and I don't think you ever actually see a, a patient's wound. Like, you, you'll see blood, you'll see, like, scrapes and cuts on people, and you'll see bandages. But you never see, like, top-down view operating room, which, I, again, I could name any uh, uh, drama or medical show or an autopsy, say, for a, a crime show that, yeah, you've seen full-on insides of people, but... I don't know. MASH is very tasteful in the way it does it. And again, they do get a little more graphic, but they do it in a way that is very intriguing. Like, I think the most graphic thing I, I that sticks in my mind for MASH is uh, at one point they, they, they'll sneak in like maybe once a season toward the end, they'll sneak in an arterial bleeder that just 
shoots a red line of blood across one of the doctors like gown and mask. And they don't they don't overdo it. It's not every episode, but about once a season it, during a serious surgery scene, they'll do that. And it's like, oh, damn shit. OK. Things getting serious. But, I mean, I'll take your word for it. I, I But when we get there, when we get there. But yeah, just the everything we need to know about how horrifying this is, is portrayed via Alan, uh, Loretta and McLean's faces and movements. And it's done chef's kiss. It's wonderful. I love it. Uh, after the grenade. Also, Hawkeye just grabs a grenade and walks away. I would assume they'd have EOD on site to deal with that. He's not just going to, like, walk it outside and set it down. I'm assuming someone's there to, you know, dispose of it safely. But, yeah, you know, whatever. Okay, but here's the thing. It, it already went into someone's body and didn't explode. And then it, they, they, they pulled it out. At that point... I'm thinking, let's see how far we can go with it. I mean, I, I'm thinking, fuck, let's let's throw it off a cliff, you know? Let's uh, let's get that ping pong table back in action, you know? Ethan, for someone who wants me to come visit him in Kansas, you're not doing a great job at selling me that it will be safe. All that I'm saying is that there, it, there needs to be more scientific questions asked, especially in regards to unexploded ordinances. It's why every time I hear, oh, there's a, they had to evacuate a town in the French countryside because they found a World War II munitions, I think, you know, just, just start poking at it. I remember I had this book called the Darwin Awards when I was growing up. And they, you know, of course, the Darwin Award is given to somebody who removes themselves from the gene pool for being so stupid. And, of course, that means they also give out honorary mentions, which means you should have died. There is no fucking reason you are alive. But you are. And one of them was a uh, boat captain in uh, somewhere in Europe who, for an anchor, was using an unexploded World War II torpedo for an indeterminate amount of time until uh, the Coast Guard saw him with it as he was leaving port and confiscated it and blew it up. So I suppose my greater point is, um, I suppose I don't have a greater point. But, you know, poke at explosives, kids. Is that, am I thinking of the right movie? Is it Hot Fuzz? Where they have to go talk to the old Welsh guy that has like a German uh, anti shit mine in his <laughs> in his barn. <laughs> Probably. <laughs> anyway, so after that, there is a happy hour, as Hawkeye states, in the swamp. Everyone is there hanging out and drinking. Uh, Trapper and Nurse. Ginger Bayless are dancing together, played again by Odessa Cleveland. We love her. We stan Odessa Cleveland. Uh, Hawkeye and Klinger are talking about the potential of having a vasectomy. Uh, a nurse is asking Radar a question that I am curious what the audience answer to this is. Because we've seen Radar in some situations so far, and we will see Radar in some situations going forward. The nurse asks Radar, everyone here says you're a virgin. Is that true? And Radar has the same reaction I do whenever this comes up with Radar. He just kind of sits there and goes, I don't know. 
Because I, uh, I, I don't know. I, I know. I've seen. I, I don't. It's possible. Because going Unlikely. forward, Radar gets put into situations where he very clearly did something with a lady. But then in after that, he will then say, you know, something to the effect of, well, I've never da 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 da. Uh, yeah. So, uh, so you know, I, I guess the uh, I, I guess the answer is uh, Radar is a virgin when it is uh, comedically convenient. All right. Same. I'm just, that's what I'm going to tell people for me now. I'm a virgin when it's comedically convenient. What? Uh, Henry is telling an interesting story to Father Mulcahy about how he allegedly got shipped off to Korea. He was operating drunk on a general's wife. Or advising drunk on a general's wife. I don't think they were operating it. Uh... Uh, to which he made some a stupid comment and got him booted to Korea. Uh, Hawkeye tells Trapper about Sergeant Condon, uh, and they hatch a plan to uh, uh, do some, as they say, reverse prejudice to him, which, look, I could say, hey, it's probably not fair to poke fun at a wounded man lying in a hospital bed. But he's racist, so we're I'm we know what we're gonna we're gonna allow. We're gonna let that be. So yeah. So we skip forward. Hawkeye and Trapper are in post-op. Uh Trapper comes in carrying a tray and they prepare to do the deed uh to private or I keep calling him private. Sergeant Condon, the least I could do to this racist asshole is get his rank right. So Sergeant Condon is lying in bed. Uh, they creep over and they begin applying tincture of iodine, which makes sense. Iodine is a disinfectant. Uh, Trapper has made some sort of uh, thin paste that can be spread with it. And if you've ever had to uh, have surgery, you know that the iodine, that uh, disinfectant iodine will stain a little bit and stay on for a couple days. So that makes sense. They They... The plot is plotting, and it seems to be making some sort of sense. Uh, what, Ethan, what do you think? How would you handle Sergeant, the Sergeant Condon situation? Patient comes to you, says, I'm afraid of getting the wrong color blood. Uh, what, how, how do you address that? How does Ethan go, how does Ethan go about uh, doing a little bit of reverse prejudice? Okay, okay, here's the thing. I, I appreciate the thought behind it. However, hear me out. It is 1951. You are an openly racist human being. This is not the first time that you have been in blackface. It's probably just the first time somebody wow. did it to you. I, uh, I, I, Ethan, I didn't even think of blackface. Why'd you bring it up? Oh, God. This know. is this is blackface for a good reason. I did not just say that. We're going to remove that. Yep, we're going to remove all of that. I think the yep. answer is, uh, I, I don't know. I respect the way they go about it. I don't necessarily believe that there is a polite or kind they're, way to they're go making, about racism. They're making him look the fool in the way he expects. Like, 
he he thinks if he gets blood from an African person, he's going to turn into an African person, which is the f- dumbest thing I have ever heard. Yeah. Genuinely. So, so <laughs> you know, to, to, to make his fears come true like that, it, it is pretty comical. But I don't then, know. Because then he thinks that's what's happening, and so he doubles down on it and just starts asking people, like, was I white? And people are like, what the fuck are you talking about? But we'll see that uh, in a little bit. But yeah, it's... I I I do respect it. Uh, you know, I I respect that uh, through the prank, they approach him from a place of education so much. Mm-hmm. I I I am much much more instinctual when it comes to that. My uh, my knee jerk reaction would probably involve a genuine knee jerk reaction to nice. the side of the head or the, the leg because that that shit took me by the the first time i watched through this episode and i i, I heard that i just it, it it took me by surprise i'm not gonna lie yeah you heard it here last again folks racism bad racism in fact bad um we we move forward into henry's office where he is going to show the guys some home movie and uh, I did want to point out uh, one of our fine Patreon members uh, and uh, soon-to-be second-time guest on the show, Mike Jameson, made a comment about these home movies. Uh, uh, where is it? He, he left us so many things. Uh, he feels the whole home movie subplot uh, would have been a bit schmaltzier in the later seasons, but it is given just the right amount of bite uh, with the the tacked-on film of the Jaffies at the end to give us a little bit of melancholy. Uh, the home movies are a great way to deepen Henry's character even more, building on the last episode, The Trial of Henry Blake. Um, yeah, I, I, I agree with that statement, and that's just part of what he mentioned. Uh, I, I like this because it's, it, it kind I don't want to say it comes out of left field, but it definitely slows... Not that the episode was moving particularly fast, but it kind of po- slows the episode down a minute and just kind of gives us a little little treat to look at, which is these home movies with uh, Henry's wife and his neighbors and his kids and their kids' friends. And it's just nice. It's heartwarming. It, and it's, it's, it's very, uh, yeah, it's, it's a nice little aside. It, it, I like what you said. It really deepens Henry's character. Uh, I I mentioned this briefly before we started recording, but they did a they did a damn fine job on uh, recreating a home movie. Like, of course, the quality is a little better than you know your handheld film camera of the day. But I I've seen enough uh, Wilson family uh, home video to be like, damn, this uh, this is making me nostalgic and shit. Mm hmm. Mm hmm. And you get you do get the kind of the beginning uh melancholy or part of the film where it's you know his daughter's birthday and they hold up the miss you sign uh and then you get the kind of goofy melancholy of the before Henry left for the war and before you know a couple years earlier they're having a cookout with the neighbors uh uh Dr. Jaffe the gynecologist next door which everyone should have a gynecologist next door um very important just real quick, I'm going to point this out. Uh, do, 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 Nickelodeon, back up here. 
Uh, Kathleen Hughes plays uh, Lorraine, which is Henry's wife. Uh, she is known for the movie. She's known to, as Mother Superior in the 1990 movie Revenge. Uh, she's in Mr. Belvedere Goes to College in 1949. Uh, what else was she in? I'm going to quickly skim through, see if I recognize her from everything. What uh, the fuck movie called Revenge is having a non-subplot? What? Hey, Never mind. Continue. Hey, the Blues Brothers had a non-subplot. Don't ask questions. The uh, Blues Brothers <laughs> had a non-plot. That was a, the true. whole point. Any my, side note, my one of my favorite two favorite movies involving nuns, Blues Brothers, specifically the Mother Superior scene where she she's beating the shit out of them with the ruler while they curse. Great. Ah, God damn it, Jake. Whack. Son of a bitch. Whack. Oh, it's so good. <laughs> uh, and secondly is uh, the sound of music, particularly when the Mother Superior in that movie sings. And I forget the actress's name, but it was. Sound of Music is not MASH related at all, but I might have to watch that movie on this podcast with you, Ethan, because I need someone else to appreciate that fourth grade me watched this movie in music class. And it was the first time that I appreciated music beyond like the wiggles and shit. You know what I mean? But also because of Christopher Plummer, my brain went, oh, men can sing beautifully because goddamn Christopher Plummer can sing in that movie. But the sister in that movie singing Climb Every Mountain is fucking beautiful and reminds me of my grandmother. And the nuns steal the catalytic, con or not the catalytic converters, the um, distributor points ignition system out of the Nazis' cars when they're running from the Nazis. Mm -hmm. And the, the sisters go to Mother Teresa and say, forgive us, Mother, for we have sinned. What have you done, my children? And they pull they pull apart their, their clasped hands under their sleeves and they're holding the tools and the distributor points for the Nazis' cars. Fucking great. Nuns kick ass. I love it. Anyway, we were uh, yeah. talking about something. What were we talking about? Oh, yeah. Uh, Lorraine uh, Blake, played by Kathleen Hughes. And then uh, the Jaffies are played by Arthur Abelson, uh, who you know he's going to be good when his uh, number one photo is him in the home movie in MASH. Uh, He's on a couple episodes of the Mary Tyler Moore show. He was on Winner Takes All, The Chicken Chronicles. Uh, yeah, big, extensive. Uh, yep, huge, big, crazy uh, filmography. Not really. Uh, and then Louise Vienna Keen uh, was Mrs. Jaffe uh, again in MASH in The Young and the Restless. A uh, couple other things, not a whole lot. Very cool, though. But yeah, the home movie scene is nice. It's very, very touching. We are absolutely not going to bring this scene up uh, in about a season and a half for any reason whatsoever. You shut your fucking mouth. Just remember, Henry has a beautiful, be gorgeous wife. I, I, gorgeous. I, I will, I will no, drive listen, out there. Listen, hang on. No, no, no. Listen to me for a second. Beautiful yeah, daughter okay. celebrating mm. her seventh birthday. I need you. I, beautiful, I, I, beautiful wife. Big, live in the dream, suburban house, big backyard, lawn furniture, social life. He's got neighbors who like him. Just mm, love it. I hate you. Yeah. Henry's got a lot going on. I, I, I hate you. Uh, we get Shut back. up. Hey. This isn't a bit anymore. This is you so, and me. 
Okay. Uh, Hawkeye continues to narrate. He talks about things people do to find, uh, to alleviate their boredom. Uh, some paint, and we see Trapper applying more tincture of iodine in front of Klinger to uh, Sergeant Condon. We see uh, uh, Father Mulcahy uh, doing some boxing practice, and I love the continuing thing, and this happens a couple times throughout the series, where Father Mulcahy is getting ready to uh, do some boxing practice on his duffel bag, and before he starts punching it, he just blesses it. Very nice. I appreciate it. Uh... We then see, now this is funny. Do you remember the first Dear Dad episode, Ethan? Um, I, I remember it, Vaguely. but I want to know which, uh, what you're going to reference. So this conversation that we see between Frank and Margaret, this is, I believe, leftover content from that episode. Because if you remember, there's a point where Hawkeye kind of talks about Frank and Margaret, and we see Margaret in her blue... Uh, nightgown and frank talking but we don't actually dive into like a vignette with them we just see that they had some sort of tiff this is that same film and same scene but we actually get to see it all this time so i my guess is this and probably some of the other little vignettes from this episode were leftovers from the first and second dear dad not that they're bad they just probably had too much to work with with the first couple you know what i mean yeah absolutely yeah so Frank comes in, and he's being Frank, uh, getting all lovey-dovey, touchy-kissy-feely with Margaret, who is not in the mood, uh, to which she says, Frank, you just think of me as a bag of desirable bo bones. And Frank, not reading the room at all, just goes, oh, yes, Margaret. Uh, uh, Margaret says she has a mind and a brain. Frank, still not listening, wants to kiss her brain. Margaret demands he gets out and is tired of hearing what a married man she is, he is. Uh, Frank says his wife trapped him because uh, uh, she said that she liked him. Uh, Listen, without condoning nor condemning, I understand. They get then get into a little bit of a heated verbal argument where they both slap each other. And apparently... Margaret's into that kinky shit. Because as soon as Frank slaps her, there's this weird pause and she goes, Oh, Frank. Oh, God. I, I don't like the lesson that that teaches to young, impressionable viewers. Yeah. Don't slap people. Hit them with a fist. they're racist. Yeah, unless it's a slap. What was that thing from a couple years ago? It's, per it's absolutely all right to always punch a Nazi. Or it's always yeah. all right to punch a Nazi. Yep. Yeah. Slap your local so, racist. Slap your local racist. Uh, so we get to see uh, Sergeant Condon. He's woken up and he's questioning his skin tone suddenly. He asks Klinger, like, hey, did I look different when I came in here before? And Klinger's like, yeah, now that you mention it. It's like, well, do I look darker to you? And Klinger, knowing the joke, leans in and goes, did they give you the wrong blood? And Condon looks mortified. <laughs> it's happened before. And then Klinger walks away. <laughs> Klinger is such an ass for that, but it's also freaking hilarious. Oh, the way he delivers that line, it's happened before. And, before. <laughs> and then uh, Ginger, who has to be on in on it too, comes over. They got you down as white. Good work, baby. <laughs> and then she says, I don't care if you're passing. You watch your mouth. Meaning, obviously, I don't care that 
you know, you're passing for white. You don't get to talk to me like that, which is hilarious. Uh, <laughs> we then get, oh, God, the monthly staff meeting. Oh, boy. I hope no one was, uh, I hope people were ready for us to talk about summer camp again, because we're going to talk about summer camp again. Hell yeah. This reminds me of morning meetings. A little to too a much. Yeah. So, audience, when we worked at camp, there would be a morning meeting. Now, we had a lot of meetings at camp. Uh, a the most lot. Product yeah, more than we needed. But the most productive ones, I thought, were always the circle-ups. After opening campfire, midweek campfire, tribe, and closing campfire. The reason why those seem to make sense to me is it was like the key big days of camp. Monday's, uh, sorry, Sunday night uh, after check-in is a good how did check-in go? Let's get ready for the start of the week circle up. Wednesday night after troop campfire is a good how is the week going? What do we need to improve to make the rest of the week good? Circle up. Tribe, uh, the Thursday night uh, campfire ceremony thing is good because that's that's usually focused on how good that part of the that part of the week that specific ceremony was and what, what we can do to improve it. And then Friday night is the how did the week overall go? Let's get ready for check out tomorrow. That always made sense to me. The morning meetings. Gra do flags, grab your breakfast, go upstairs. Everyone says the same dumb bullshit every morning. Drink water, smile. The scouts are looking at you. Yep, but dear, we fucking know. Tell us shit that actually I'm livid because I don't work there anymore and no one's here to stop me. The morning meetings should only need to happen if there is pertinent, new, critical information. I know it's Tuesday. I know it's night hike to the fucking Indian caves. It's been night hike to the fucking Indian caves every Tuesday since 1950 goddamn eight. We don't have to discuss it. I know so, we're serving corn dogs today. We've had corn dogs every Tuesday for the last 17 years. We don't need a pep talk about every goddamn minutia thing every goddamn day. Let me eat my fucking breakfast and walk the 10 minutes to my program area so I can get there on time. Yeah. Uh, so, how, for, so Ethan, for, how for did you listeners. feel about morning meetings? <laughs> uh, not as bad as you did because I worked in nature, which is literally within spitting distance of the lodge where we had our morning meetings. Your program area, shooting sports, was a half mile hike up a hill uh, with no direct trail there. No good direct trail there. We had one, but it was covered with trees and so I'm going to I'm going to backtrack a little bit. If it were just the camp director, the program, if it were the like the the six key people that actually need to say shit, camp director, program director, lead commie, medic, maybe an area director or two, if there's something very pertinent and important that they need to inform the whole staff about, like, hey, the range is having this problem that might affect you in somewhere. Hey, waterfront's dealing with this. So please understand your the students might be late to their next classes. That's fine. The problem is you get all 45 staff members at those tables upstairs and every goddamn person, I, if you're listening and work to camp, I love you all. Call me if you need to have a flat tire. I will be there. But Jesus Christ, every single person thought they had some motivational bullshit to say. 
and I'll say it, including myself and including you, we've done this. We did it once or twice. We we hopped on the dumb. Of course, yeah, yeah. It's absolutely. morning meeting bandwagon. But more often than not, it's just shut, shut up, shut up. But there's nothing you need to be saying as a fucking second year merit badge counselor that no one here has heard 107 times already. Shut the fuck up and let's eat and get out of here. Just stop it. Uh, anyway. It's it's the summer camp version of this meeting could have been an email. This email could have been a phone call. That phone call could have been a text. Like, it's... Uh, uh. Anyway, sorry. I, that is That has been six years of pent up. I want to scream about this and I've just let it out. So thank you, podcast audience, for turning down your headphones for a few minutes. But... The MASH monthly meeting feels the very same way. Uh, we have them all come together. Hawkeye likens it to uh, the chimps tea, uh, tea time at the London Zoo. Uh, they call roll, even though they can all physically see each other and see who's there and not there. Uh, we learn that Frank's middle name is Marion. Originally, uh, I think it was Franklin D. Burns for Delano, as in you know Franklin Delano Roosevelt. Which would make sense for him to be named Franklin Delano Burns. I think that makes more sense for the time period. But hey, whatever. Uh, Marion's funnier. Uh, Hawkeye gets in a real good joke. I, I have to say it. Frank says, watch it. I'm not in the mood for fooling around tonight. And Hawkeye very seriously goes, did you hear that, Margaret? Fucking iconic. I love it. <laughs> um, because, because... A hundred percent. There were a couple years at camp where if the right person said that line, I would have turned to the the correct person and go, you hear that, so-and-so? Because, you know, camp relationships are a thing, and I like fucking with people. Um, sorry, I had a brain fart. Uh, there were no meeting minutes from the previous meeting because the only person there was a radar. So, uh... Oh, Hawkeye gets in another good line. When they get to Father Mulcahy, he blesses the meeting, uh, to which Hawkeye replies, and all those who sail, sail in her, which I use every time there's an opportunity, because it confuses people, and I like confusing people. Um, as Margaret takes over the meeting, I also love that Hawkeye uh, distracts Father Mulcahy by saying, would you like to re-bless the meeting? But uh, Radar reads out the minutes of the previous meeting. Uh, the minutes of the previous meeting were... Uh, there was a vote to determine whether the officers of the unit should have a reunion every year after the war. Uh, the motion failed when it uh, failed to receive even a single vote. Uh, then the meeting was declared a shambles after uh, Captain McIntyre unscrewed Major Burns' clusters. So, yeah, you know, just normal, normal meeting things. Um, what are clusters and how do I unscrew them? So, I believe the clusters are the oak leaves, uh, the, the actual major's insignia. So the cluster, so clusters would be the oak leaves on either shoulder that Frank would have been wearing on a jacket, say. Okay. You can see if you, if you find a picture, a uh, screenshot of Frank during the meeting, it's that it's the insignia on his hat that he would also have on like a winter jacket on his shoulders. The, uh, the gold oak leaf is the Major's insignia. The silver oak leaf, which you'll see Henry wearing, is Lieutenant Colonel. But anyway, I, di I digress. Uh, 
Hawkeye points out, and this is this is very much my feeling of the, uh, the camp morning meetings. If you want to talk about things that are actually relevant and important, how can we get through chow line faster? How can we uh, make sure the staff is both functioning for the scouts and getting enough sleep? If you want to talk about making sure the program areas have the supplies they need, I will sit at a meeting for 17 hours to see that it gets done. But if you want to do dumb stuff like, you know, read some dumb quote you found on Instagram that's supposed to inspire us to not be sleep deprived today, shut the hell up. That's not worth my time. I want to get up to my program area, get the rifles out, get the range safe unlocked so I can let scouts in right at nine o'clock so they can have as much time as possible to have their class and not be finishing my breakfast at nine o'clock and dying sprinting up the hill to the range so I can get there 10 minutes late and start class late. Like that was always my thing. I'm very much on board with what Hawkeye's mood is here. If we're going to have a meeting, let's discuss medicine. Let's discuss patients. Let's discuss how we can improve our methods so we can be more efficient, not this dumb military nonsense. Uh, uh, Frank reiterates that everything we say here concerns the war. So they call for a vote to end the war. It, it, as, as Trapper says, there's a motion on the floor. Let's vote on it. Uh, everyone votes aye. Uh, the war was the Korean War was ended on this date at 9.32 p.m. Uh, last one to the uh, unemployment office is a rotten. We love it. We love it. We love it. <sighs> then we come back to Private... Or, sorry, Sergeant Condon. I keep doing that. Remember, Ethan... Last week, no, not last week. We, yeah, last week. Remember how they got away with saying, uh, behind every good man is a woman with a vibrator? Absolutely. That was pretty out of pocket. That would not fly today. Now, I know it's for the purpose of storytelling and combating racism, but you know what's also really out of pocket? What's that, Anthony? Telling a dude who think he's becoming black because he thinks he got a black person's blood in a transfusion that his new favorite food is fried chicken and watermelon and unveiling a tray of fried chicken and watermelon. That is like, I get it. Different time, different place. Good gag. I'm not going to lie. I think it's funny. But Jesus Lord, that is by today's standards. That's that's that would be I don't think you could not not do it today. But I definitely think it'd be there'd be a discussion about it in the writers' room. Like, do you think we could do that? We should probably check with someone. Do you think? You know what I mean? Like, whoo, that is a. It's hilarious because immediately Condon's like, "What are you talking about?" But it's still it's it's a it's a little wild. It's a little crazy that they could do that, just without thinking about it. But I digress. And again, I'll admit it is funny, but. Uh, they confront Condon because he says, he's saying, that's not my favorite food. Just tell me straight, did you give me the wrong color blood or not? And this is where, uh, again, Mike mentioned it in his thoughts about the episode on the Patreon. They do a much better job, I think, and so does Mike, in handling racism in this episode than they did in, say, local indigenous personnel. It's not beaten over your head so much. It is, hey, here's a person who thinks a certain way. Hawkeye and Trapper are going to mess with him a little bit. So that he kind of sees he sees how his thinking can be interpreted as very not okay. 
that's a good way to do it. The whole uh, nurse who's suddenly super racist at the end of the episode it, it was very kind of out of left field, right? This is yeah. a much better way to do it. But it is completely undermined by the fact that the crux, the pinnacle of this argument that Hawkeye and Trapper are about to use is basically 80% false. And that's the story about Dr. Charles Drew. If you followed Nash for a long time, you've probably heard this before, but if you are new and haven't, I'm going to share with you. So Hawkeye and Trapper explain to Sergeant Condon about Dr. Charles Drew. According to Hawkeye and Trapper, Dr. Drew invented the process to separate blood into plasma so it could be stored and used in transfusions. He, they then say he was killed in an auto accident because he was taken to a hospital for whites only. They would not operate him because he was African-American and he died as a result. And that is supposed to give Condon a lot to think about because the process that ended up saving his life was created by someone who he holds, he would have hold, held prejudice against and that supposedly died because of that type of prejudice. Unfortunately, that is a very incorrect retelling of that story. Like, super incorrect. Like, very, very not true in a lot of aspects. Um, to make a long story short, uh, the account of Drew's achievements was largely, was largely factual, but Dr. Charles R. Drew did not invent the use of blood plasma and the separation of plasma from blood. His work and that of his colleagues did contribute significantly to the use of blood transfusions in medicine by developing the process and standards for collecting and processing stored blood on a large, large scale. So he was part of the process, not a specific, you know, it wasn't him alone that like right. found the magic well, bullet. What he is um, uh, credited with uh, inventing or uh, what we now know as blood mobiles, I know that, um, mm -hmm. you know, the mobile donation stations with yep. uh, the ability to refrigerate the blood they collected. Yep. Yeah. Um, Drew's death uh, that Hawkeye and Trapper say is factually correct. He did die because of results, because of injuries he received during a car accident. However, it is urban legend uh, that he was refused uh, at the hospital. Uh, it has been debunked by several eyewitnesses, including someone who was in the car with him at the time of the accident. Uh, he was admitted to the hospital. It was for whites only, but every life-saving measure available uh, was done to uh, save his life. Uh, this episode of MASH is often referenced and criticized as a source which serves to perpetuate the myth, but it should be noted that the positive debunking of this myth from uh, uh, Dr. Drew's friend, Dr. John Ford, only surfaced in the 1980s. The script writers writing in 1973 would have had no way to know, nor would they have cared, as the truth would not have helped the underlying point they were trying to make in the episode. So they, couldn't, they didn't have the evidence to know this was fake, so it's kind of a moot point to argue that they were bending the truth because they didn't know they were necessarily. But unfortunately, with the passage of time and hindsight, this episode kind of loses that punch that it felt like it should have uh, because the whole story they used to convince Condon to rethink his whole belief system is predicated on a rumor, not the truth. So... I, well, it's not it, it's not Mash's fault, but it kind of like nowadays, obviously, fifty years later, it's like ah, 
Damn it. And, and in all fairness, uh, there there's some truth behind the myth in the sense of, uh, you know, black people were refused treatments uh, because there were, you know, segregated hospitals or not enough um, uh, black beds, as they were called, for those hospitals. So I, I can see why it took off the way it did. But yeah, it is... Uh, still an inherently false story. Yeah. Unfortunately. <sighs> but anyway. Uh, we do see at the end of that story, regardless, uh, Condon seems conflicted, uh, which we will get back to. Uh, Hawkeye ends his letter to his father, mentioning that it's time for the night shift, and we see a very uh, bedazzled and manicured hand reach over and turn off the light in sultry fashion. Uh, we close the episode on another uh, after party in, a, in the swamp. Radar is dancing with, uh, is that Margie Cutler? That, I, I believe that's the same nurse he was talking to at the beginning. I can't remember. Yes, but is that nurse? Is that nurse? It's not Margie Cutler. It's one of the other nurses we, that's been fairly regular. Um, it's not the Abak nurse either. Um, I love that fa uh, Father Mulcahy's drinking a martini. He has my favorite Father Mulcahy line after the, uh, uh, bless this meeting and all who sail aboard her. Uh, not too much. I'm praying later, uh, which is excellent. And I uh, said it before and I'll say it again. I feel like praying would be a hell of a lot more fun if you're doing it absolutely shit-faced. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, we see Sergeant Condon come in and talk to Hawkeye, who is a little taken aback because Condon is armed when he does it. Uh, Condon's muscle discipline is atrocious in this scene. Uh, but hey, you know, whatever. Army gonna army. Uh, we see that he tells Hawkeye, thank you for the operation and also for giving him a lot to think about. And I do like, it, may, it might be a little on the nose, but I do like that he stops uh, and addresses Lieutenant uh, Bayless, uh, formally as a sergeant should address a lieutenant, uh, and it ends on her wishing him good luck, which I think that's a nice, that's wholesome, that's cute. Um, and then Hawkeye ends with explaining to a Swedish nurse, or at least uh, getting ready to explain to the Swedish nurse, the American meaning of the word whoopee. Which, oh boy, international relations via Hawkeye. And that's the episode, Dear Dad Part Trey. And I do believe, do not quote me on this audience, because I don't know off the top of my head, this is the last Dear Dad episode. Sort of. It is, I believe this is the last Dear Dad from Hawkeye episode. Uh, but as I have mentioned and we have hinted at, it does lead to other... Uh, letters from members of the camp to their loved ones that are some of my favorite episodes in the whole series. So we will be looking forward to that. Uh, hope I don't think in the in this season, but I think there's at least one or two next season. So that will be very interesting. So yeah, Dear Dad 3, Ethan, what are your thoughts? What are you feeling at the end of this episode? Have we solved uh, racism? Uh, you know, I, I don't want to take credit for it, but, you know, I, I think maybe, no, I, uh, I, I think, uh, 
from what I from what I understand from our various conversations, we're probably gonna have more episodes like this that maybe do a little bit better job, a little more nuance in it down the road. Is is that fair to say? I think so. Which is, you know, not to disparage this episode, I thought it was a pretty funny prank. Uh, you know, I... I <laughs> uh, any, any excuse uh, uh, to get Jamie Farr, you know, in on the action is, is fine by me. It, it's happened before. I liked it. I liked it a lot. I, I nice. am sad. I thought... I really thought there were going to be more Dear Dad episodes. And I, I get it's only the sort of end of it, but still, I was expecting, I don't know, a more. Well, we've gotten three so far, and they've all been from Hawkeye. So I think mm -hmm. it's reasonable that we're that uh, Hawkeye has written enough letters for now. Yeah, yeah, but yeah. We shall see. Um, oh, wait, I'm suddenly remembering. Is there a Dear episode? I need to go look this up. There might be one more Hawkeye. Well, there's... One episode where Hawkeye definitely writes to people, but it is not a letter. And I think it is one of my favorite MASH episodes for a lot of reasons. It has one of the, I think, one of the single funniest ep scenes in an episode of television ever that I still laugh out loud till my sides hurt during it. But that's a whole nother story. But I think there is one more dear someone from Hawkeye. But I'm, I get the feeling that I'm like misremembering it and it's it might be a figment of my imagination. So I'll, I'll need to look. But we I, we Hawkeye's not done writing things. I'll just say that. Um, what I'll, I'll just give my thoughts. I definitely think this is of the three Hawkeye Dear Dads. This is probably the weakest one. This feels like it's the leftovers from the first two. Which aren't bad. This is still a good episode, but I, I think the first one with Hawkeye, with it being Christmas and Hawkeye going into do battlefield surgery and radar mailing a jeep, and then you have the second one that's uh, that has the the guy pretending to be a surgeon. Like I, I think those have a little more meat to sink your teeth into, and this one's a little less dense. Which again isn't a bad thing. I just think it's it's definitely of the three. This is the this is the third one, if that makes sense. So, uh, Ethan, uh, any fi any final thoughts on the episode, and what would your rating be? No, I don't think that I could uh, put my thoughts any better than you already have. Um, I didn't think it was a bad episode. I definitely agree with you that, at least in my opinion, I I liked the uh, first two better. I thought they might have been better episodes, but this was still good. I I'm in a solid four. I, no more, no less. I'm at a four. Okay, and that's where I am, too. I'm at a solid four. It's not a, the greatest episode of MASH, but it's not a bad one, either. And yeah, certainly absolutely. It being, it being a Dear Dad episode, just, I, I just like that format so much. Nice. Uh, on to the audience. Before I get to the audience, I did forget to mention uh, two little tidbits uh, from the previous episode that I want to bring up before we get to the audience ratings. Um, uh, Bella... Oh, Bella Sissa on Twitter mentioned that in all my 1,000 viewings of The Trial of Henry Blake, I have never stopped to read the note Trapper gives Klinger. Thank you. You have made my day. Um, this would be the note, by the way, that says, give the guard a fucking gallon of phenobarbital, which is glorious. Um, 
from the YouTubes, we have a couple comments. Uh, Chad Smith, um, I'm down for a table read, says Chad Smith. We discussed table reading a, a script from MASH that never got used, uh, Father Hawkeye Knows Best, um, which, oh boy. Mike Jameson is also on board with that idea. Oh boy. Uh, Don't Eater 111 commented that uh, I put the video, we talked about the lodge curling uh, at camp when we were talking about the gurney races. Uh, he mentioned that one of our staff members, uh, I believe one of our former kitchen guys, was wearing a Hawaiian shirt and he looked very uh, Hawkeye-esque uh, in that uh, video. Fun fact, <laughs> Ethan's in that video. I'll let you guess which one he is. Um, oh, fuck. Oh, God damn it. Oh, son of a bitch. He may or not bitch. be the one... He may or may no, not be the one cos no. cosplaying uh, uh, Johnny Cash. Hold on, let me let me. You're wearing all black. Um, I, I that's that's. You're also new. the size of a medium sized RV, Ethan. They they're gonna notice you. Uh, and I say that with all the love and affection in my cold dead heart. No, it's uh, fine. Uh, on the on the subject of uh the note that Trapper shows uh. Klinger, Mash the Movie is the first movie to use the word fuck. Big asterisks on that. We're going to talk about that next week. So it would be fitting that the show is presumably the first to use the word on TV, even if nobody really knew about it. That's interesting. Because, yeah, it's not said out loud in the episode, but it's definitely legible as the word fuck on a piece of paper, which is hilarious. But, uh, as I said before... Uh, we do have a Patreon. Uh, you can leave us comments there and we'll reference them throughout the episode as we did uh, for Mike Jamison's comments on Dear Dad 3. Uh, he didn't have any other big comments. Uh, he says this is one of the better episodes of Season 2 uh, and one of his favorites from Season 2. Uh, he, he is of the opinion that the later seasons leaned a little too heavily on the drama, specifically being too on the nose regarding big issues. This episode uh, in the early seasons in and the early seasons in general were able to be more seamlessly weave the comedy and the dramatic elements into episodes without banging us over the head uh, and physically screaming this is important. I, I agree with that. I think MASH does get a little too dramatic toward the end, but I think they had the the tenure, if that makes sense, to get away with it. But We'll cross that bridge when we come to it. Um, but yeah. Uh, some audience ratings, and then we'll get out of here. We have a 4.4 from Mike Jameson, uh, a 3.7 from Donut Eater, toward the lower end of my dear episode ratings, but still very good. Um, 4.5 out of 5 from Chief Smash Forever, uh, The Dear Dad. Uh, format is one of his favorites. This one's filled with some funny moments. Uh, Henry's uh, home movies and the racial aspect, getting a day in the life or any backstory of home life aspects to the characters is gold. Uh, Paul Mitchell, four out of five. Uh, the, when the guys get together and watch Henry's home movie is a classic. 4.2 from Chad Smith. Nice for Odessa Cleveland to have a little bit more to do. Nice. Uh, 4.25 out of 5 uh, from Transplant Rockstar. In retrospect, it's got... Oh, I'm not going to read that one. Uh, there's some retrospective of this episode that I, again, we will visit later. Um, Spoilers. 
Uh, Sean Murphy gave it a five out of five. It's one of his top five episodes. Home, the home movie is funny. Uh, gives him a lump in the throat when the kids flip the cards. Aw. So yeah, Dear Dad 3. The next episode, we are not watching. If you did not somehow hear us when we went off on a tirade about it earlier, we are not watching the next episode of MASH for the next episode of the pot. Excuse me, of the podcast. We are watching the feature-length motion picture, MASH, the movie, directed by Robert Altman. We've been putting this off for a while. We're going to watch it. We're going to talk about it on the next episode. We're going to have Mike Jameson in here as a guest. It'll be fun. It'll be exciting. You'll laugh. You'll cry. You'll wet yourself. All of the above. It'll be fantastic. Um, and in addition to that, uh, in December, coming up in about a month and a half from when you hear this, we're going to have another movie episode. Maybe even, it might even have to be a two-parter because it's probably going to be pretty long. But we're going to do something for the special for the beginning of December. Um, if you've heard us talk about it, you'll know it's tangentially mash-related. It is being released at the beginning of December for a reason. If you can't put together what movie we might be talking about, we've mentioned it on the podcast before. If you need an additional hint, the only additional hint I will give you is Climb Mount Nitaka. With that, uh, you can find us on all the social medias, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, Tumblr, uh, throwing a rock through my bedroom window with a note tied to it. Uh, our email, bestgaranywherepod at gmail.com. All those fabulous places. And as always, if you want to support the podcast, share it. Discuss MASH with us on the social medias. Tell your friends. Tell your neighbors. Uh, lock them in your basement. Force them to watch MASH and then listen to our episodes. We won't judge you. The law might, but we won't. And if you do want to take that extra step, we do have a Patreon. You can chuck some money at us uh, if you so wish and get uh, the occasional bonus bit of information like what movie we're watching for the bonus episode uh, in a few weeks. But other than that, that's all I got. Ethan, do you have any words of wisdom, things to say? Uh, hopefully nothing I have to bleep out at the end of the episode. Slap your local racist. Slap your local racist. And remember, folks, you heard it here first. Racism, bad. The time has come for us to say sayonara. My heart will always be yours for eternity.